When I hear the word grace, I think of someone bringing beauty out of my biggest mistakes, being my real self, and being loved without conditions. I think about a love that's stronger, rock solid, bigger than anything I can ever imagine. When I'm really aware of God's grace, when I experience it, it's like a weight is gone. <sighs> a breath of fresh air. Freedom. It gives me hope. And when we share it with our families, our neighbors, our friends, with our church family, total strangers, we experience joy, growth, thankfulness, peace, healing. We experience more grace. Well, let me begin by asking, when was the last time you feel like you connected with someone? Not just talked or texted or even hung out for a while, but really connected on a deep personal level. So much so that you walked away from that encounter or conversation feeling understood or valued, refreshed, encouraged. When was the last time? If you're like a lot of people in our world today, it's probably been a while. They tell us that nearly half of all Americans say they always or sometimes feel alone or left out. More than half of Americans say they sometimes or always feel like no one really knows me. And the highest levels of aloneness are being reported among the youngest generations of Americans, 35 and under. We're hearing a lot these days about the so-called deaths of despair, deaths that come as a result of drugs or alcohol or suicide. They are skyrocketing in recent years. And the loneliness factor is considered a primary cause behind those deaths. Now, hopefully, you're not feeling quite that isolated and desperate today. But if you are, you've come to the right place and let someone know. But observers tell us that among all Americans, loneliness is epidemic these days. And it's certainly not that we don't have enough people in our lives. Most of us have too many contacts and names on our phones that we carry around. We can't possibly keep up with them all. It's not that we don't have enough people. It's that we don't have enough connection, deep and meaningful relationships. And that loneliness factor is one of the reasons we are prioritizing group life here at Grace. As you know, we are kind of refocusing our ministry here at Grace as we look to the future around three main areas, Sundays, groups, and the next generation. So last week, we talked about Sundays because we believe that people today are looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. They want to be part of something bigger and greater than themselves, of movement. They're looking for transcendence and beauty and significance in a world that often feels ordinary and, and just purposelessness. And so Sundays are all about those things, about connecting us to, to the God who has a grand vision for our lives and for our world. And so we learned last week that we experience grace when we gather for worship because we're reminded of God's goodness to us and to the world. And that simple phrase, gathering for worship, that's the first of what we're calling our steps to engagement. One of five ways we can experience grace in our everyday lives. Well, today we'd like to talk about the second step of engagement, which is about connecting in a group. Because as much as people want to be part of something bigger and beautiful, they also want to be part of something small and intimate. 
They want to know and be known by a group of people. They're looking for authentic, meaningful relationships. And we see people looking for these already. We're hearing about the rise of what they call third places, coffee houses, gyms, yoga classes, places besides work and besides home where people can connect. We're hearing about all kinds of shared living arrangements around shared workspaces. We're finding people moving back into the cities because they want to be in closer proximity to other people and not separated by the lawns and fences of suburbia. And so this yearning for community and connection is what's behind our commitment to group life here at Grace. And so today we'd like to talk about what it means to connect in a group. This is actually Connect Sunday here at Grace when we celebrate our group life and challenge ourselves to, to take another step towards deeper connection with God and with each other through group life. So we're going to go after three questions today. What is connection really? Why is it so important? And how can we experience grace in groups? So to find answers, we're going to go once again to the writings of the Apostle Paul, the poster boy for grace. This time we're going to be reading the book of Colossians. Um, looking at chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And like last week, we had such a good time last week worshiping a little bit after the message. We saved ourselves a few minutes to do that today as well. So let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. We're going to jump into the middle of the letter here. Uh, and I think we'll read this back and forth together as we do sometimes. I'll let you stay seated uh, this, this morning, but why don't you read back and forth. I'll begin and you can respond with the bold print. Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Well, the circumstances behind this letter are very similar to the ones behind the letter of Ephesians, which we looked at the past couple of weeks. Paul is still a prisoner, and he is still concerned for the churches and the Christ followers, trying to make their way and live out their faith in the challenges of the pagan Roman Empire. So he writes these letters of instruction and challenge, and here he's speaking about uh, how people ought to be relating to each other within the church family. Now, this is supposed to be a sermon about experiencing grace, and if you were listening carefully, you probably noticed the word grace doesn't even appear anywhere in this passage. But Paul uses eight other words, each of which reveals a different aspect of this thing called grace, and all of them together add up to what we call grace. Just listen to them again. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you have, and over all these, put on love. Eight words, eight expressions. 
Now, I don't think anyone's interested in an eight-point message today, so we won't walk through all eight of those. I think, I think we'd all agree these are all variations on the theme of grace because these, thing, these aren't things we can demand from another person or from God. You can't demand compassion or kindness and forgiveness. These things are undeserved. They're, they're unexpected. They're they're. they're unconditional, they're unbelievably good. All you can do with these kinds of things is receive them when they come from God or from someone else. And so some commentators have called these the eight graces, the eight graces. As it turns out, these, some of these words showed up on the, on the grace notes that some of you have left in our grace walls we have in our lobby. On every campus, we've set up some, some grace walls where you can stop and just write a quick note. I experience grace when, or if not for grace, I, and just write, it, write a few lines on a note, stick it in the grace wall, and let it be an encouragement and an offering to God. So I was reading through some of those, and I found these words showing up. Listen to a couple of them. One person wrote, I experienced grace when my son forgave me and began a relationship with me after years of being out of touch. Another person wrote, getting back to the school schedule with kids is hectic. It was my turn to drive the carpool this week, and I forgot, leaving three kids waiting for their ride. Other, yeah, every parent moans, right? <laughs> Other parents could not have been kinder, more forgiving, and gracious. When people offer us these things, Kindness, forgiveness, patience, when we don't deserve it and didn't expect it, it's grace. They have graced us, as we talked about last week. But as important as these eight words are, Paul is actually not just giving us a list, he's painting a picture. He's giving us a metaphor. Look at it again. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He wants us to imagine these qualities or these virtues as garments, items of clothing that we literally put on in the morning before we head out to school or work or wherever we happen to be going. Do you have a compassionate shirt in your closet? Patient pants? A forgiving fleece? A belt of love that holds it all together? Who knew Paul was a fashion designer? Right? Grace is the new black. How about that? <laughs> Since I was kind of turning these words over, I, I noticed a couple things about them. The first thing that struck me was how relational they are. These virtues can only be experienced in a relationship with other human beings. Grace isn't something that you can hand to a person or just re- acquire. It, it, it has to involve another human being. It's like baseball. Now, I know Boston fans would rather talk about football right now, but I would like to talk about baseball, okay? <laughs> you can't play baseball by yourself. I mean, you can throw a ball up in the air and catch it. You can practice hitting off of a tee or even a pitching machine. But it's not like playing catch with a real person. It's not like trying to hit a curveball at 95 miles an hour. You can't play baseball by yourself. You need other people. Now, there are, there are some sports you can play by yourself. You can run by yourself, swim by yourself. You can golf by yourself. Pastor Richard loves to golf by himself, by the way. <laughs> you think he's this big social guy? No, he likes to golf by himself. And, and you can do that with a lot of sports. But 
you can't play baseball by yourself. It requires other players. And so does grace. There has to be a, a gracer and a grace e, a giver and a receiver. You can experience wisdom alone. You can experience peace by yourself. God can give you wisdom just by yourself. But you can't get grace unless you're in a relationship with God and with other people. And that's why groups are so important because they provide us with a, a community of people, a team of people with whom we can practice these things. People with whom we can learn to give and receive compassion and kindness and humility and patience and forgiveness. And just like you can't play baseball by yourself, you can't play baseball with 100 people either or 1,000 people. You've got to have the right number of people. Now, you can worship with 100 people. You can worship with 1,000 people. Sometimes the more the merrier when it comes to worship. But you can't connect in a crowd. You need a community of people with whom you can connect, a small enough group where you can come to know each other and trust each other and spend time together and share all the ups and downs of life with each other. And in the process of sharing those ups and downs, you actually begin to experience grace. Now, Karen and I had that experience. We were, were part of a group here at Grace for a, at least a dozen years or so. And even though some people came and went over the years, there was kind of a core group of us that hung together for, again, a long time. Usually there were eight or 12 or 15 of us. We came together every other Tuesday night in a different person's house. We did all the things that groups do. We studied the scripture and we caught up on each other's lives and we prayed for each other. We did service project and we had snacks we often skipped dinner and went straight to dessert, which is my kind of a group. So we did that as well. And along the way, we learned how to express kindness and grace and humility to each other. And over those 12 years, we shared a lot of life with each other. Weddings and funerals and births and graduations and, and job changes and parenting challenges and caregiving challenges and all the things that go along with life. And, and in all those experiences, we got to give and receive these things. But that, that group graced Karen and I in a very particular way, in a way we needed to be graced. They gave us the freedom to be ourselves. Not to be the pastor and his wife, but just Brian and Karen. They didn't expect anything different of us than they expected of anyone else in the group. They didn't expect me to be the answer man every time a difficult question came up. Didn't expect me to lead the group every time. I led once in a while like everybody else did. They didn't use the group time to lobby me for some program at church or their favorite song they wish we would sing more often. Or <laughs> every once in a while that might have happened. But. And they allowed us sometimes to say, you know what, we're tired or we're discouraged or we're worried or we're struggling. And it's hard to find that kind of freedom anywhere, but especially if you're kind of a public person in a large church, that was a great gift to us. And, and I see some of them out there, and, I, and I'm, I'm feeling appreciative for that gift they gave to us of grace, the freedom to be ourselves. But it could only have happened in a group where over time we practice these things with each other. 
So the, the first thing I want us to notice about these eight graces is that they are relational. You can only experience them in a group. The second thing I want us to notice about these graces, you, you, you listen and see if you notice them, okay? Compassion, kindness, humility, patience, gentleness, forbearance, forgiveness, and love. Now, who do those words remind you of? Yeah, this is one of those times when Jesus is the right answer. So, Jesus, okay? Just, just say it. Jesus is the right answer. This is the way of Jesus. This is what Jesus taught. It's the way he lived. It's the way he treated people. It's the way he carried himself in every circumstance of life. The way of Jesus is the way of grace. And Paul makes that really clear as he continues here. Just look at how central Jesus is to these relationships. He says first, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Think about the peace that Jesus brought to every person and to every situation. Stilling a storm, calming a crowd, restoring fractured relationships. Don't, don't we want to be those kinds of people who bring peace to our homes and our workplaces and our neighborhoods? It's interesting, the particular word Paul uses here for let the peace of Christ rule, it's actually, speaking of sports, comes out of the athletic arena. The ruler of a game was what we would call the umpire or the referee. So I kind of like to imagine Jesus being the referee in your small group. And uh, when someone talks too much, he throws a flag. <laughs> when they're sarcastic or judgmental, when the prayer requests drift, drift towards gossip, he throws a flag, he calls a timeout. You see, groups are where we practice these things, and we allow his peace to rule us. But he keeps going. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. The word of Christ, of course, is the teaching of Christ, which the apostles passed on in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and now in letters like Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians and Galatians. See, these graces, they don't come to us naturally. We have to study them. We have to learn about them. We have to talk them over and practice them with each other. And according to Paul, that happens best in a group where you can teach and admonish one another. Now, on a Sunday, someone can stand up here and teach and admonish, but you can only one another in a group of people. And that's how Paul wants it to happen. That's why Scripture is the focal point of group life at Grace. Again, we do all the other stuff. We care and we pray and we share requests and did I mention snacks and all those things. But ultimately, it's the Bible that brings us together. Every week, a group sits down with a passage of Scripture or a verse or a Christian book that helps explain the way of Jesus, and we talk about it together, and we teach and admonish one another because there are things you can learn from each other that you can't learn from the person who's standing up here week by week. So Paul talks about the, the, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and then finally the name of Christ. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. This way of Jesus 
It's not just for church and group. It's for every aspect of our lives. School, work, play, finances, friendship, family, politics, everything. Yes, I said politics, everything. Don't we need grace in all these arenas of life? And and so groups... We, we bring all these things to our group life. We talk about home and work and school and play and finances and friendship and, yeah, politics sometimes. But we do it in an atmosphere of humility and patience and kindness and forgiveness. And we figure out together how to follow the way of Jesus in the worlds in which we find ourselves. So that's what our groups are all about. Our vision for groups is simply this, smaller gatherings of people, seeking people, believing people, who come together on a regular basis to pursue the way of Jesus and to do it together. That's it. That's our vision for group life. It's usually about anywhere from seven to 20 or so people who come together to do this. And that's exactly... Those are exactly the kinds of people that Paul's writing this letter to. We, this letter comes to the Christians in the city of Colossae. There were probably hundreds, probably thousands of them in that city. Maybe every once in a while they all got together for a great big worship service, but most of the time these believers met in homes, in small groups of people where they would share a meal and they would catch up on each other's lives and they would build friendship and they would talk together about the scripture and the teaching of Jesus. So we we believe that the way of Jesus is the best way to live. It's the way we were designed to live. It's the way we want to live. It's the way the world needs us to live. And we learn to live the way of Jesus by pursuing and practicing it in a smaller group of people. So we experience grace when we connect in a group to pursue the way of Jesus together. That's our second step of engagement. Some years ago, a Christian psychologist named Larry Crabb wrote a book called Connecting. And Crabb said that after 25 years as a Christian counselor, he had come to believe that most of the help that he offered to people in his counseling office could have been found and maybe should have been found right in local churches as believers in Christ simply shared life with each other. He describes it this way. When two people connect, something is poured out of one and into the other that has the power to heal the soul of its deepest wounds and restore it to health. The one who receives experiences the joy of being healed, and the one who gives gets the even greater joy of being used to heal. Something good is in the heart of God's children, waiting to be released, but it rarely happens." that something good is grace. And the reason it rarely happens is because we rarely get in close enough proximity to each other for this kind of connection to happen. Think of it this way. We're all familiar with a classic scene in action movies where a plane is running out of fuel mid-flight. Uh, They've got some important person on board or some precious cargo, and for some reason, they can't land to refuel. So they have to be refueled in midair. Some other plane loaded with fuel has to come alongside and, and get in close enough proximity to it for a hose to be dangled from the one plane to the other. And for a while, the hose dangles in midair as you wonder, is it going to connect or not? And 
it locks in and the fuel begins to flow and the day is saved. That's the kind of experience I imagine Paul is describing here. As two people or more come alongside each other in the journey of life and one of them is running low on grace and another has grace to give and they find a way to get close enough to each other that a connection is made and compassion, kindness, courage, wisdom, strength flows freely from one to the other. Now you and I know those connections aren't made easily. It takes time to build trust, to get familiar. You have to take some risks. You have to make some mistakes. Once in a while you flounder around before a connection's actually made. But if you keep at it, life, grace begins to flow from one person to another. And it's beautiful. From time to time here at Grace, we have offered a simple teaching that that has become very important to me, and it's the simple idea that relationships are sacramental. Relationships are sacramental. Let me explain what I mean. In, In many Christian traditions, things like the Lord's Supper or communion are considered sacraments. Sacrament literally means a means of grace, a channel through which divine assistance or power flows into the life of a person. And so in those sacramental traditions, when you are baptized or you share the Lord's Supper, divine power is actually transmitted to you through the water or through the bread and the cup. Now, in our tradition, we tend to be a little more symbolic in our understanding of those things, even though we value them very much. But here at Grace, we believe that relationships are sacramental that relationships are the means by which God's grace is mediated into our lives. Which is simply to say, if God is going to grace you with courage or wisdom or healing or forgiveness, there's a good chance it's going to come to you through another person or persons. Now, I'm not discounting the direct ministry of the Holy Spirit or or the power of God's Word alone, but most of the time, The work of the Spirit and the power of God's Word is mediated to us through another person. Relationships are sacramental. But if that's going to happen, we have to be in close enough proximity to each other to allow these kinds of connections to be made. And that's why we are challenging ourselves, inviting ourselves, whoever we are and wherever we are in our journey, to take a step towards deeper connection with God and each other through group life this year, one way or another. Because these things are probably not going to happen on a Sunday. They might, but these kind of connections don't usually happen on a Sunday. They happen with a group of people gathered around a table and having the Bible open in front of them. So we have all kinds of groups for all kinds of people and all days of the week in all kinds of places, short-term, long-term, just... We have all kinds of groups that you can find to be part of, and we encourage you to pursue it. So for some of you, it might mean a first time. Maybe you've never been part of a group like that. This whole thing is new to you. You're an introvert, whatever. It's going to be a little bit of a risk and a little bit of intentionality, but can I encourage you? Just try it. Try it. For some of us, it might mean coming back to group life after a time of away. Maybe we just kind of got out of the group, or maybe we actually had a bad experience in a group. Try again. Karen and I have missed that connection for this past year or two, and 
And we're committed to finding it again, and I hope you will too. For some of you, it might mean stepping up actually to lead a group. We're hoping to start lots of new groups, and if that's going to happen, we need some leaders. We'll train you, we'll coach you, we have resources for you. What a way to experience grace, to create an environment in which these kinds of things happen. So let me encourage you as you make your way out today and head off into the week. In all of our lobbies, we have some tables set up where you can talk to people in groups. Just ask them to tell you about their group. You can hop on our website, go right to grace.org groups, and you'll find a group finder there that can actually help you find groups by day of the week, by what kind of group, by what they're studying, which campus they're based on. Go ahead and shop around. In fact, we even give you permission to visit a group and then say, eh, I don't think so, and try another. It's kind of like speed dating. It's like speed grouping or something. It's okay. Find a group that works for you. But you got to try. You got to look. Because the simple truth is, we experience grace when we connect in a group and pursue the way of Jesus together. And we want that experience for everyone. So let's pray about that for a moment. Lord, thank you for this list of beautiful words, for the picture you've painted of connection. Lord, I'm sure there's not a one of us here that doesn't want this kind of experience. So we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you might help each of us to know the particular step you'd have us to take to join, to lean in, to start, to return, whatever it might be. And we pray that you would superintend this whole process that everybody who expresses interest in a group today, this week, or in the weeks to come might find their way to just the right group for them. What an exciting possibility that you are actually the master architect here. You're the group finder. You know who we need and where we are, and we can trust you to lead us to good people and good places. And so we invite you to do that in order that we might be people who experience grace and then share it with the world. Meet us now, Lord, as we continue in worship, as we bring our gifts to you, as we share stories, as we worship together. May we experience your grace here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we end our service with some time of uh, singing and worship, I wanted you to hear from three folks that have experienced grace in their group life. So I'm just going to ask each one to identify, say your name and what group you're in, and then maybe one practical way you've experienced grace in your group. Hi, my name is Laura Warfield. I'm experienced uh, with participating in the Wednesday morning men's group. Um, and um, the way that I experience grace is in relationships, both I'm growing in my relationship with God <coughs> as the group challenges me to be the best man that um, I can be as the, I interact with the men at my table as we extend and receive grace from each other as we encourage each other as we support each other as we challenge each other um, and as we accept each other for who we really are not who we may be tempted to pretend to be and then finally I take get the chance to take all that grace that I've experienced and bring it with me as back to my family, to my friends, and to the many people that Christ puts in my path. So if you're in, 
it's a little commercial. If you're the sort of guy who's not sure whether you'd like to spend a lot of time with a bunch of guys, um, we're holding a men's breakfast Saturday morning, October 5th, 7.30. Um, just stop by, spend some time with a bunch of other guys that love God, um, and maybe that may be for you. Thank you, Larry. Kathy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name's Kathy. I am a member of the Tuesday Morning Women's Bible Study Group, mm -hmm. and I've been lectured not to talk too long, because <laughs> once you put a microphone in my hand, I could probably talk for a long time about this uh, Bible study, the Women's Bible Study, because I really, really enjoy it. Uh, I've been a member of Grace for about a year. Um, before that, I had a spiritual experience in Costa Rica, and I wanted to find a church to to enhance that. Uh, I tried a little Bible study on my own, but um, I just wasn't getting what I needed. So mm. I basically, I shopped around for a church uh, or place of worship, and I landed at Grace. It happened to be Connect Sunday. Mm. And That's I went great. up to the Bible, the women's Bible study group table, and mm. I said, what do you got for me? Mm. And <laughs> I basically... Uh, that's where I, I started uh, being involved in the, uh, the women's group, and it was just what I'm looking for. Um, and, you know, we, we, we have a fellowship. Uh, we have like-mindedness about God. Uh, I've enhanced my connection. Mm. And it's good to hear other people's point of view of what we're studying. Um, and, you know, it's really helped my connection. Mm. And if you want to hear about my experience in Costa Rica, stop by the women's table out there, and we'll, I'll give you a little story. So that's, thank you very much. That's great. Right, Ray? Um, good morning. My name is Ray. Um, our group, which is kind of a home group, but we don't meet at anybody's home. We meet here on campus every other Sunday, uh, the Adult Learning Center. Um, I experienced grace through my group. Uh, over the past six months or so, I experienced a couple of surgeries. I had shoulder surgery, and then I had open heart surgery. Mm. Um, and during that time, before, during, and after, uh, the, the, the love, the encouragement, and the support of, of my group, uh, was the, it was the lifeline between uh, the church and my wife and I. Obviously, we weren't able to go to church for an extended period of time. Uh, that, that love, the way they communicated to us in various ways through phone calls or visits or emails, whatever it was, uh, it was so heartwarming. <laughs> I got that. Seriously, got it that. was so heartwarming. Uh, and, and it actually uh, brought us to a place where we, we, we became closer and more dependent and they really were that connection that helped us to kind of be, while we were out of service, be connected to service. Mm -hmm. So mm. groups are great. Thank you. Mm. Can we thank these folks? Thank you.